Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. And today, the U.S. trade war, maybe, just maybe, we are at the first stages of a detente on that trade spat between the U.S. and China, provided China buys tens of billions of dollars worth of American agricultural products and makes some concessions on protecting American intellectual property. But really, are they just agreeing not to make things worse? Meanwhile, industrial production in both countries is on the slide and the impact of the slowdown in demand is being felt across the globe. So, can anyone win in this trade war between the US and China? That's today on the Debunking Economics Podcast. Well, we have talked about uh, the trade war between the US and China before and how, to an extent, President Trump is right to feel put out about the way in which China operates. The fact that companies need a Chinese partner to operate within their country and how that's being used for intellectual property theft, allegedly. And perhaps it's also unfair how the state subsidizes companies in ways that the US doesn't want to do for themselves. Uh, of course, we shouldn't argue with what the US president says anyway. After all, he has tweeted in this last week how he has a great and unmatched wisdom. But today... Let's look at the impact and it, what it's having and, and why and whether this war is sustainable. It's certainly having an impact on the economy. Uh, Kristalina Georgieva, the new head of the IMF, said that the trade war through market reactions and its impact on confidence could mean a loss of around $700 billion or about 0.8% of the global domestic product by 2020, which she says is approximately the size of Switzerland's entire economy. So, Steve... Politicians, economists, analysts, academics, everyone is saying nobody wins in a trade war. So are they right or can there be a winner? Yeah, it's a huge disruption. I mean, the, 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 what China did extremely well, uh, starting in 81, 82, when they started opening up their free trade zones, is uh, enable a dramatic transfer of technology. But that's a huge motivation for the China's Communist Party leadership at the time, many of whom are engineers. They wanted to get Western technology as fast as possible uh, into China and then start copying it uh, and producing their own domestically. And they've done that. So John was quite right to say they've done it. They got away with it because American corporations are willing to screw their workers uh, to to take on the higher profits they get by having their much more lowly paid Chinese workers. Of course, now that that's been successful to the scale that it has, China's gone from being, uh, you didn't even bother counting it in, in, in uh, global GDP calculations back in the 1970s. It's being a bit facetious, but not, not too much. Uh, to now it's, it's probably 
the world's largest economy. Mm. So you can't continue doing the same thing as the world's largest economy that you did as uh, as an also ran. And and that's why, in that sense, uh, Trump has a point. But the way he's, he's definitely labouring the point. Yeah, of course, it has been beneficial to both sides, hasn't it, really, until now? I mean, you could argue that the prosperity of both countries has been built on this trade arrangement and now it's being pulled apart. It's being felt. Yeah, I mean, it, it's what, what's actually happening, of course, we're having the... the the, the, we basically had a web of corporations that's independent of the web, of, of the of the chessboard of countries, and this is our problem. We 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 still manage the economy in terms of the chessboard, but it's overlaid by this enormous web. And what is happening with with Trump now is he's cutting the web in various places or making movements along that web much more expensive than they were beforehand. So if you look at the uh, in terms of an iPhone, I'm not sure how many different countries involved in making components for the iPhone, but it's something. It's I think it's over 50 different countries are involved now. If if you start whacking tariff barriers up, which which increase the price of those components, uh, if you're exporting them, uh, you know there's issues you can tricks you can play if you're doing stuff inside the one company. Um, uh, using the variation to transfer pricing, uh, you can get around the impact of the tariffs that way. But generally speaking, it's disrupting those global supply chains, and that's meaning it's much harder to produce goods. Uh, it's much harder to export them, and you're having a, a you know, collapse in business. You're having companies being sent bankrupt by it. Uh, so it is incredibly disruptive. And there's there's no. I mean, I'm not a fan of free trade, as you know. But I'm uh, this 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 one has gone on so long and become so destructive that yes, it is having an impact on the global economy. Yeah, and as I said in the introduction, you know, as lots of people say, nobody wins in a trade war. So are they right in that, or if they hang on long enough, could there be an ultimate winner? Well, I mean, there, there has been one of the uh, the best books on this is actually by Michael Hudson called America's Protectionist Takeoff, and uh, this this is America building its industries in the, in the in the 1800s, largely by putting up tariff rules deliberately intended to stop imports from Europe, particularly England, and force the goods to be manufactured domestically. And as Michael argues, that that, that led to an enormous amount of investment uh, domestically financed out of the domestic monetary system. You didn't need to import English pounds to do it. And uh, you, had, you had to build up the technology over time. To, and, and, and given the scale of the American economy and its, its rate of growth of its population and land area as well as that was expanding in the 1800s uh, and the market that existed for things like railroads and, and so on, then that meant that though the uh, American steel manufacturing started behind the uh, the English and then the, ultimately the German in terms of capabilities, it became ultimately the strongest on the planet. And again, this pattern is repeated in countries like South Korea. Uh, one reason South Korea dominates telecommunications these days, so it plays a much, much larger role than you'd expect from the size of its economy, was its government decision, I think, back in the 1980s to say that everybody, well, 1990s, everybody had to have a T1 connection and not built by the government itself, but by the telecommunications companies, that's where things like Samsung came from. Yeah. Uh, so but that, even even those companies, though, are using supply chains which go over many yeah. countries. Yeah, so, I mean, right. so that that I mean, that argument of, uh, of comparative advantage, which I know you don't like, uh, is, I mean, is that happening in the technology space? Because we've got complex technology products where people are, you know, you've got chip manufacturers in certain countries, you might have screens being made in other countries. You are getting a bit of specialization and to replicate the whole thing and say, well, we're going to do all of this in our own country. The US is going to do all of it. We're going to make all of iPhones in the United States. It's never going to happen because the horse has already bolted. 
Well, I mean, the horse can, this, this is what Trump is happening is to, to force the horse back. Uh, but of course, the, the horse that comes back will be very different to the one that went out because the level of labor involved in producing these goods is dramatically lower now than it was 30 years ago. He might so, want uh, people, people are used to buying a thoroughbred and they're going to get a mini Shetland, is the. Uh, well, no, they're, no, they're, they're <laughs> going to get a, they're going to get a high tech horse that doesn't need to be, and doesn't need a rider. And, and that's the, that's the issue that when you bring this technology back on, it isn't the technology that went away with its, with its Labor, labor capital ratios that existed then. It'll be one of the much lower labor capital ratio that if come back, if it does come back, uh, and that also to some extent you've got to build the skill base up. So, yeah. one of the points Tim Cook made some years ago, which was quite valid, is if he wanted to have a meeting of all the machine tool experts in America, he could hold it in Apple's boardroom. Going to have the same meeting in China, you'd need a football stadium. So the skill base has been eroded as well, and rebuilding that skill base is not an overnight task. So these things. Uh, if, even if it, if it, even if it's an impossible it's, task, you might say. Yeah, not quite, not impossible, but, but something which takes you know, ten to fifteen years to do, and he wants results tomorrow. Yeah, and in the meantime, you've got a trade war going on because he's he's putting in place protectionist measures to make that happen, and as we're seeing, everyone is suffering as a result of that. So why is everyone suffering if if it's not a because if it's a chessboard, you're just moving the parts around. Somebody's got to win, but it looks like nobody is winning. So global trade is down for everybody yeah. as a result. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you're cutting off supply chains. You're making it more expensive to trade. Uh, you're making it, uh, you, you know, you're, you're, you're making it possible to do something while not making the, the replacement is going to take much longer than the than the cutoff that you've you've imposed. So it's going to reduce the capability of production. It's going to cause you know, exports to fall globally, uh, and that's what seems to be happening. Right. So you're not going to get, so the US is, is not going to race into creating uh, their own domestic alternatives because the demand's not there because demand has subsided so much. Well, it's not, not a great deal of subsidence and demand. What's the cost issues of trying to do that, all that technology domestically? Ultimately, you'd be able to do it as cheaply as you can in China. Uh, but that's a 10 to 15 year case of training up your workforce, uh, bringing the machine tools back on, on board, developing new technology to replace what was done in China and places like, in places like Foxon. You couldn't bring Foxon uh, labor, even, even given how um, authoritarian America tends to be towards working class, you couldn't bring Foxon on practices into America, forget it. So there are uh, enormous barriers in doing this. And, and you know, iPhones might increase in, in price by a factor of two or three if you try doing it. So it's, it's just not going to happen on the scale that Trump wants it to happen. And is it really achieving anything anyway? Because, uh, I mean, it's being fought on several fronts, but one of them is certainly on tariffs. And the impact of that is being severely weakened by a falling Chinese currency. So it started as a 10% tariff on Chinese imports. So it's not going to make much difference to the exporter if the Chinese currency has fallen by 10%, which is why Donald Trump's now upping up to 25 or 30%. Um, I mean, Do- Donald Trump gets a bit of extra revenue from this, doesn't he? Because, uh, you know, because... Be- because of those tariffs, but um, his exports, no, they're not, they're not his exports are becoming more expensive as well. Because of you know, it's uh, the, the, as the Chinese yuan de- devalues and the US dollar goes up, it becomes more. You know, it has a counterintuitive effect. Well, this, this is actually where counterproductive, I should say. If this is worth, worth, worth working in terms of basic identity. The way to in, a GDP is defined is uh, consumption plus investment. 
uh, plus exports minus imports plus government spending minus taxation. We're talking earlier about how fall in government spending actually causes a fall in GDP. Equally, a fall in exports causes a fall in GDP. Mm-hmm. And this can be, even though global trade is balanced, the fall in exports can be felt by every country on the planet. So the overall global level of GDP can go down. And what Trump is, my, my main frustration about all this and looking at Trump doing it is that the, the last thing he'd ever be in favour of is is abolishing the American dollar as the reserve currency for international trade. But that's why they've got a manufacturing weakness in the first place. One of the major reasons is that your American dollar is at least 30%, if not 100% overvalued because of its role as the international exchange system. If you wanted to really um, re- benefit Australian American manufacturing uh, and without uh, doing a tariff war, you'd say, okay, let's develop an international currency back to the bank or again and let the American dollar fall by a factor of two and then you might find it uh, c- competitive for American manufacturing. You move move its uh, its corporations and move their web back onto the uh, uh, terra firm of America rather than locating it in China or Vietnam. Is he also just a bit fearful that uh, China's just getting a bit smarter? So it's moved on from a from a country that would perhaps steal ideas uh, or obtain them anyway, dissect uh, devices made overseas and replicate them cheaper, and is now actually leading the way in certain areas. And one of those is in uh, artificial intelligence, where it seems like they may be winning the race against the US. Yeah, I mean, this, this has been a very successful, again, back to Michael Hudson's book, um, America's Protectionist Trade-Off. In that sense, China has done a, replicated the American experience, not the American textbook. And uh, you, uh, there are arguments about the ways in which Chinese education isn't necessarily uh, one that inspires people to innovate. That's still a, a reasonable issue, not as bad as it was 30 years ago, but still a reasonable issue. But yes, certainly in a lot of technology, technological areas, including AI, uh, then they look like they're well and truly in advance. And certainly when it comes to high-speed rail, uh, the, the technological advances there are stupendous, and America uh, doesn't have does it have a single high speed rail anywhere? I don't think it does. No, I think it's all tediously slow, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas the Chinese have got you know, three hundred kilometer an hour trains literally cross crossing the country. Mm. So, in terms of the, uh, if you wanted to uh, build a, um, a, a a rail system in America right now, you'd be buying Chinese technology. So things certainly have turned around over thirty the years. Biggest issue, though, I mean, it's definitely technology, obviously driven by it, because um, tariffs aren't working. He's now trying blacklisting companies. So they can't buy U.S. technology, which may not be a big concern to them uh, because they're doing it themselves anyway. But they're not able to sell their products to the U.S. market. So that, that is a big concern. So and Huawei is the, uh, is, the, is the big example of this. So they've got a, a new phone out. It doesn't come preloaded with all the Google software because they're not allowed to because of these restrictions. But I've uh, looked at my uh, my mobile phone provider to see what phones are out there. The Huawei Mate 30 Pro 5G, a 5G mm. phone. I can get it for half the price of the new iPhone 11. Mm. I read the reviews and say that these are comparable phones, if not the, uh, the, the, the camera is actually slightly better uh, on the Huawei. So uh, here you've got a better technology than the US one. But he's trying to hold it back by saying, well, okay, you can't deal with Google. You know, we've got Google. You can't get uh, their their software loaded on your phone. You can load it yourself, of course. Or what can happen is Huawei says, well, okay, tell you what, we're developing our own uh, operating system. 
and uh, we'll be putting that out there soon. So you can forget about Google. I mean, that it's all just going to you take this approach. It's going to come back and bite you at some point, isn't it? If, yeah. Unless you are by you, know, unless you're more than fifty percent of the world, which the United States isn't. Not anymore. China has the capacity to fight America on its own turf, with one exception, and that's the uh, CPUs. It doesn't it hasn't yet developed, and I've, I've seen. It's hard to work out why it hasn't developed, but it hasn't developed its own ship making capacity. Right. So it's still so needs. Aside from Taiwan or Japan or. Well, but mainly America. Okay. I mean, you look at the, the Intel. Intel, in terms of the strongest uh, corporation in America, I think it'd have to be Intel because every computer on the planet, you've got the AMD chip as well. Yeah. But generally speaking, it's, it's Intel or AMD and that's it for CPUs. And then you have the GPUs, so the NVIDIA and companies like that. I'm not sure of the ownership there, but I do believe they're also American. So America's got the. Got the dominance and it doesn't seem to be losing it in the uh, you know, sub you know, what they call the micron or sub micron manufacturing level and that's something china uh, has not been able to reproduce it's done everything else except that um, so that is still the in, in that sense the one bargaining trip that chip pardon the pun that america has is the cpu they are they are making them in taiwan they are making them in japan as well and in fact intel have got factories overseas and that raises the point as well doesn't it if you if you if you put in place these blockades or tariffs whether it's an outright ban or, or tariff people are always going to find a way of working around it so for example chinese companies are saying well okay uh we better start producing some stuff in other countries where we can ha- have part ownership to get around the tariff barrier you, there's always yeah. going to be a workaround it's it's well it's, and that amd being one of those cases because it's looking hmm. up it's actually part owned by a chinese corporation now yeah and you know, chinese academy of sciences so it's, it's feasible to do it and, and then in that sense uh one thing about this is one reason why i've got a negative attitude towards free trade uh often things like tariffs or costs you impose will force your local manufacturers to invest and it's actually investment that gives you growth over time not specialization so one of the side effects of this could be, uh, could have been an increase in innovation. The Chinese have certainly done it already. Uh, the Americans, because the American corporation have been happy to screw their own workers to, to uh, increase their profits, this is the long-term consequences of that, and they might be forced back into investment again. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it isn't going to happen anywhere near fast enough for one Donald Trump. No. And the question is, you know, what's the end game in all of this anyway? <clears throat> Doesn't he have to accept at some point China is a big country, it's got a growing economy, it's getting the smarts. You can keep on arguing that, uh, you know, it's got where it is from IP theft. And we hear that time and time again. So China's got it in, in the military, and I think this might be part of the problem that's nagging with him. China's got these new J-20 fighter aircraft. It's developing its own aeronautics industry, basically, rather than buying from the U.S. So it's now creating, and we had this argument, this, this, this the, the, these reports that uh, Lockheed Martin's systems had been hacked, and it was the Chinese, and they used that intelligence by hacking from the internet. They built the J twenty based on on that. Seems a little bit unplausible that everything would be so accessible online that you could build an entire new aircraft and all those secrets were uh, somehow hackable. Uh, why not stick them in a safe would be, <laughs> would be my argument rather than making it available, somehow available on the Internet. But, I mean, at some point you've got to accept the fact that, you know, perhaps they are making their own headway and they are innovative and it's not all stealing from the United States. Maybe they've got some smart people too. And you've got to rise to that challenge rather than fighting a trade war to try and protect yeah. yourself. Yeah, I think this, I mean, this, this is a case where American capitalism and American state 
uh, ism are in conflict because American corporations took advantage of the the trade laws that were there to promote development of the third world country back in the 1980s, and uh, that's that's where they put up the original rule that uh, yes, yes, you have free trade zones. Yes, you could bring manufacturing over here. Yes, you could therefore shut it down back in America. But when you opened it up in China, you had to have a Chinese partner when in five years, the Chinese partner had to own half the business. Uh, now, that I think it might be called unpatriotic to take advantage of an offer like that. But that's exactly what huge numbers of American corporations did, including Apple. Mm. And that's why so much of their goods are produced in China now. And now you've got this conflict between the state side of America and the corporate side. And, of course, the people who are suffering in the middle of order are the working class who <laughs> Trump is pretending to care about. Well, it's just going to push prices up for America, isn't it? I mean, if all of this stuff is bought back home, it is going to be more expensive. Stuff is going to be more expensive to buy. Um, I mean, maybe that's not a problem because if stuff's more expensive, it's made by people who, you know, you'd, you'd assume that salaries are going to go up as well. I mean, does, is it going to find it? In other words, if the end result of this is more industry comes back home, can that be a good result for America? And it can be it, it can be a good result, but um, it won't have anything like the employment consequences that existed previously. Uh, so, because again, that over time that technology got more and more capital, machine intensive, mm. machine energy intensive. I always come back to saying, why do we go from labour to capital? Uh, it's because uh, there's a limit to how much energy a worker can put in, and if the, the, the cost of designing and building and reproducing a machine falls below the cost of keeping a worker alive, uh, then it's worth your while to develop a machine to take its uh, take that process as place right and that has been sufficiently happening in in uh, in semiconductor and a whole range of other industries over the last 30 years but that, that would happen irrespective of what donald trump does if if it was if it's cheaper for an american company to mechanize at home uh without employing uh, overseas labor then they would do that but the fact is obviously they're deciding well no it's cheaper to produce it overseas because the labor is cheaper we can yeah. do it with less mechanization there's, presumably there's, I mean, there's all sorts of ha- the whole thing about uh, globalized production is you get a, a, a intricate supply chain which itself is incredibly hard to manage and then you have quality control issues uh, and the the, the, out, the promise of outsourcing and saving saving money you know you, you specialize in what you're good at and outsource everything else mm. uh, has has only worked when you had an absolutely astronomical gap between the costs of inputs uh, in outsource versus non-outsource. So when you had like a, a 30 to 1 uh, wage differential between America and China, then even though the supply time is complicated, even though you had a lower productivity coming out of your Chinese workforce than you got out of the American one, uh, it was still worth doing it because the cost advantage was so great. Now that that's evaporated, then those advantages aren't there. So a lot of corporations would, I think, just by the progress of technology on one side and the growth of Chinese incomes on the other, would have been looking at those calculations and saying, it's so bloody hard to manage the supply chain. The cost advantages aren't there anymore. When we start, we expect to expand output. Let's look at doing it domestically rather than internationally. Because now what's happened is this, this has all been thrown into into chaos and, 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 and immediacy courtesy of Trump's uh, uh, trade war behaviour. And Trump's trade war behavior is is not having one jot of benefit in the short term in the, in the United States, is it? So if we look at, uh, well, I mean, we've, we've talked about, you know, trade volumes around the world. Uh, they're going to rise by 2.6% this year. Well, no, that's what the WTO was forecasting, I should say. 2.6% mm-hmm. this year. They made that forecast in April. Now they're going to say, ah, actually, because of the trade war, it's now 1.2% growth. So that's quite a significant fall. And in the last two years, it's been 
percent. So from three point eight percent per year down to one point two percent. That is, uh, it's it's fallen by two thirds basically. That's a lot of revenue. That's a lot of jobs disappearing. And in the United States, the uh, index of manufacturing output has fallen to forty seven point eight. Anything below fifty means it's contracting. So it's the lowest mm-hmm. level since two thousand eight. The uh, the export orders on that measure has fallen to forty one. So serious contraction again, the lowest mm-hmm. in ten years. You'd have to wonder is it worth it whatever you're trying to achieve it's hurting your own country your own economy in in the, no, in the process no it's not worth it and that's why we're saying it, 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 very few things done by a narcissist are worth it for other people <laughs> uh, and that's the situation we're in here with the, you know, the, the, the classic narcissistic behavior of, of trump uh but it, you have you have to question how come our political system select people like donald trump and boris johnson and uh, you know around the globe uh, the, the guy in Brazil as well. Uh, how do we get these sorts of people being selected? Scott and then Morrison. Expect- yeah. yeah. I didn't want to mention him, but anyway, there's, these- <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, there's something seriously going wrong in the world, isn't there? Absolutely. There's something seriously going wrong, and then therefore we're, we're, we're not getting sensible in this national policy by any means on anything, and it certainly applies also to the trade issue here. So- I would, the sensible thing would be to bring, bring in the Bancor and do all that sort of jazz, and that's not going to happen until... Yeah. We fracture the whole system. Yeah, and until uh, you are president of the world. Uh, uh, that's what they might take, and I uh, fear for that day. That's, but that's, the- <laughs> thank you very much. So do I. <laughs> but, I mean, what about what, – what would be a good resolution then? So what, what is fair trade? I mean, should is it unfair for China, for example, to insist on on uh, on foreign ownership for companies that, that are, sorry Chinese ownership for companies that are based in China? Could well, they think, reduce that percentage? Would that be a would that be a starting point? If, and do, if, does China really matter anymore? Because they are, as we've said, you know, they're getting smarter at doing stuff by themselves anyway. China doesn't need to help anymore. That's for sure. I mean, countries like Vietnam, Cambodia definitely do, and. Uh, if we if you look realistically, what enabled growth to occur, and this is not just work by Michael Hudson, you find the same thing in Danny Roddick's work on international trade, that the countries that, that grew most successfully tended to be the ones that had an industrial policy and that protected their domestic industry, but put them under pressure to innovate and catch up with the globals as fast as possible. Of course, Korea and Japan are the two outstanding examples of that. But and China the third, uh, but though China relied more on you know, grabbing the overseas technology in a hurry than than uh, Korea or Japan did. So it, it, if, what do you say? That's allowed up to a certain point, but when you get too big or too wealthy, we stop you being able to do that. And that that is the case. You'd apply to China now, and you'd apply to America as well. So the US is also, of course, having a having a dig at uh, Europe as well over subsidies, and that raises the question: I mean, is that fair trade to have? Uh, government subsidies. So the the argument which was taken to the uh, WTO, which the US won, was that the uh, Europeans had unfairly subsidised Airbus, uh, and that was obviously uh, uh, to the dis- to the detriment of Boeing, and therefore, uh, the, you know, that the US would be in its rights to impose tariffs on imports from Europe as a result of that. So we have the, the trade war fought on another front. So, but I mean, is is that a problem? Should governments be held back from subsidising industries? I mean, Trump is subsidising his farmers now, who are losing out on the trade war, and twenty billion US dollars a year is spent subsidising the fossil fuel industry in the United States. Well, there's, 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 there's simply disentangling all the subsidies that exist. Is I think it's a mugs game. Mm. Uh, you simply have to uh, accept that that's going to happen, but you you look for outrageous examples of it, not not ones which are which are marginal. Now, in case of the Boeing versus Airbus, 
uh, you know, Airbus was deliberately created as a way of getting a competitive for buying, which pretty much dominated the global uh, market for, for, for medium to large planes. And uh, it's, it's been successful. I mean, mm. uh, but at the same time, Boeing was being massively subsidised by its role for the American military. So how do you bring that into, into balance? And, you know, the, the military contracts that Boeing gets are a major part of its revenue source. At the same time, we're now seeing the, the yeah. travesty of the Boeing 737 MAX, uh, which is a case of a, a corporation bent on, on, on money, profits, and, and putting engineering second, uh, has now managed up to stuff up its own manufacturing basis, the thought that Boeing would be the only country in the world producing airplanes would scare me because I would rather have them being forced to commit somebody who actually didn't make the, the uh, ludicrous uh, decisions, you know, to build a new plane uh, on the basis of an old one and thereby make the, the new plane aerodynamically unstable and think I could fix it up with software, which you know, <laughs> has led to the crashes. It's, it's, it's awful. Uh, you know, I, I think the whole subsidy versus uh, free market, it's a furphy. Uh, the, the thing is, is to say we, we want to have a diversity of manufacturers to some degree. Uh, in c- case of things like aeroplane manufacture, there's very little room for more than more than one or two, uh, and maybe three manufacturers globally for that market, given the economies of scale that exist in airline manufacturing. But you want to have the competition uh, to avoid the sort of situation we're seeing with Boeing. And if, if Boeing wins this case and you get a massive tariff put against Airbus and Airbus becomes financially unprofitable. Heaven help the, help, help the skies in 10 years' time because there'll be planes falling out of it left, right and centre. Well, maybe we'll all be flying in uh, Chinese planes. Maybe they'll be, maybe they'll be more reliable. And that's the interesting thing as well, isn't it? Because you, you'd look back, you know, when we were kids, anything that was made in China, you assumed was a bit shonky. Now mm. you don't have that assumption. So you look at their you look at their phones and you know and their uh, you know and their technology. Now it's it's some of it is the best in the world. And I, I remember having as a slightly older young kid than you. I remember having this conversation with my 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 preteen friends at primary school uh, about uh, Ford Ford and General Motors cars versus Toyota. Mm. We'd all laugh at anybody who bought a Toyota. Mm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's because the focus in, in, in Toyota was actually improving the quality of manufacturing build over time and start off cheap and move forward. And that was an extremely successful strategy. And, and, and ultimately, you get a, a, you know, a, a, you get a combination of, of cheaper manufacturing and higher quality. So that gets back to the issue, doesn't it? That America has lost its dominance in the world. That is the real problem. And it's being used, the, the trade war is being used as, a, as an excuse that they are being... Uh, uh, they're facing unfair competition from from elsewhere, um, but how do you back out of this? Because I mean, it, uh, it, as the question of who could hold out the longest in all of this, everybody is hurting, but who has the longest economic pain threshold? I'm not sure, but who has the longest political threshold? Well, China doesn't have to worry about elections, so I guess that answers that question. Yeah, they can they they can put up with this indefinitely, and their people are are used to being told we've got to uh, you know restrain ourselves for a while. They're, it's an intriguing country to visit and live in. I mean, we see the extent to which there's political control and uh, suppression of alternative voices and suppression of minorities as well. But the general situation for the Chinese, uh, average Chinese citizen, has improved so much over a 30, 35-year period that they're willing collectively to wear a lot of this in ways that would not happen in America. So in that sense of capacity to 
cope with pain. I think China definitely wins that battle hands down. So how does Trump get out of this? How does he reach a compromise? How does he, from from all of this, how does he do something at the end which says, well, look, this is a this is a more level playing field? What, what broad principles could he apply, or perhaps someone smarter than him could could apply? There's nobody, there's nobody smart. What was that no. comedy made again? <laughs> the, uh, the, yeah, he has all the wisdom. The, the, yeah, again, yeah. let me find the exact quote. What was it that he has? Uh, uh, he has great and unmatched, unmatched wisdom. Wisdom, yeah, yeah. So given the fact we've got Solomon in charge, uh, nothing's going to happen until Solomon no longer, not no longer running the show. Right, but how, how does the United States, say, say he gets supplanted by somebody uh, with slightly less wisdom, um, but I, we're going to see a, re- a rapid reversal on this in the in the tariffs. And if if you get anybody else in charge, then the first thing that will be happening is the tariffs going backwards. What I hope as well is that after having had the, the traumatic experience, and this is this is what happens to anybody who gets involved with a narcissist. Okay, you get traumatized, but the the process of the trauma can mean that after you get through the whole thing, you make decisions you would never have made without the trauma. Mm-hmm. So one possibility that I see, like we saw with Mark Carney's speech about introducing a digital. Uh, international digital currency yep. speaking recently uh, the, it is a possibility that finally we might do what Keynes put forward 80 years ago pretty much uh, at the Bretton Woods yep. bring in international Bancor. currency yep. bring in bank or bring in controls that stop this sort of behavior in the first place and then you'd go from the huge trade deficits and surfaces we have now to the two percent range plus and minus two percent of gdp that so can- does the bank or solve this problem then does it does, does yeah, it yeah I think it doesn't get rid of international rivalries you're still going to have countries with you know, great power rivalries and things of that nature but once you have uh, the the, the bank or system was implemented with all the various controls that existed as well, uh, the taxation on surplus countries and so on, you would never have got the level of trade imbalances we've got with the floating exchange rate system or with the Bretton Woods Agreement before and with the fixed exchange rates denominated in the American dollar. That th- Those th- those imbalances wouldn't have occurred. So in that sense, uh, you know, you've, uh, you've just been had one traumatic relationship, let's hope your next one is better, but let's change the behaviour in the meantime and do things that don't let people, narcissistic people, have the power that Trump has been given by the global financial system. Right, so the bank or gets over the issue that the US dollar has the disadvantage for America in that it's uh, the reserve currency. It doesn't solve the problem, though, that maybe, just maybe, there are other places in the world now that are better at producing stuff than the United States is. Well, and this, this, this is what we actually did bring the bank or in. And quite quite uh, feasibly, the American dollar could fall by 30 40% and Americans would find they're far less wealthy than they thought they were. And that would not be a particularly pleasant realization for America. And America doesn't behave all that well when it gets, uh, when it gets unpleasant news. So uh, it, there's, there's no way that I see this as being a, you know, a way to bringing in a period of, of peace and, and peace and, and love and friendship. Mm. It's, uh, the realization that you've been overvalued, and it's only the yeah. financial system you set up that enables you to have that level of power, is not going to be a pleasant experience. No, well, the only way to bring people together, obviously, is to have a war, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to have one, but not country, against each other. I suspect what will happen is he'll just step back on it bit by bit as he gets closer and closer to the to the elections, and it'll be a case of oh, look over there, there's something. Look at that bright coloured moving object over there, and it uh, he moves on to the next thing. That seems to be the way he yeah. operates. In a back, back we mentioned Boeing, a little, a little um, flicking on the internet while we were talking about it. I was just coming up with Boeing's pages talking about the 737 MAX. And what is the opening line? A newest family of single-aisle airplanes, the fastest-selling airplane in Boeing history, the 5,000 orders and more than 100 customers worldwide. The next thing says it's uh, 
Uh, the customers have taken delivery, technical specs, nothing about it falling out of the bloody sky because it's aerodynamically unstable. Yeah. So <laughs> when you, when yeah. you, when you, yeah, that's right. When the front of the aircraft falls to the ground uh, because it's front heavy, uh, you know, you've got a problem. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know too much about aircraft design, but I would work. I'd, I'd start on that principle. I think. Yeah. Anyway, good talk, Steve. Look, next time we're going to talk about modern monetary theory and the green, the green movement, and whether we can pull them together. So that's next. Okay. Time. Okay. okay. Good. We'll talk then. And that is it. That is the debunking economics podcast for this week. Back again, as I say, with another one next week. I'm Phil Dobby. He's Steve Keen. Thanks for listening. 